Hello everybody, my name is Asher, your host for the Revenue Journey podcast, where we interview and grab unique perspectives from amazing individuals doing technology sales within the APEC and ASEAN region. Welcome to episode 6 of the podcast. For this episode, we have Augustine, Senior Account Development Executive at Millsoft. One interesting fact is that Augustine was also one of the first few people I connected with in technology sales, and we spoke about our experience doing the sales development role very often. Now, as you all know from the past episodes of this podcast, I firmly believe that doing sales in the APEC or ASEAN region is different compared to other countries. Again, the reason is that this region is made out of many different countries with many cultural differences, language barriers, and different purchasing habits. And one reason I brought Augustine to this podcast today is that he is a Singaporean and he graduated from Singapore Management University just like me. His first full-time role was also as a sales development representative. Although in Millsoft they call it account development representative, but it's essentially the same role. But what makes Augustine stand out is that when he started, his territory included Taiwan, which is a Mandarin-speaking country, and Augustine grew up mainly speaking English most of the time. So I wanted to get his perspective on prospecting into unfamiliar territory with a language that he isn't too proficient at in the beginning. So with that being said, let's get this episode started. Hi, Augustine. Welcome to the Revenue Journey podcast and thank you for being my guest on this show. As always, tell me how you feel being on this podcast. Hi, Asher. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Definitely happy to be on this and also I'm looking forward to share a little bit more about what I do and also hear from your perspectives as well. Yeah, thanks so much, Augustine. And I'm very sure that you bring some unique perspectives to our listeners. Again, this will be something that is unique to the ASEAN region. So I'm really excited to have you. But I think let's start off by understanding more about your current role and the company you work at so our listeners have more context. So Augustine, tell us more about your role um, currently right now at Millsoft first and what type of solution or service the company sells. Yeah, so Millsoft is a company under Salesforce. I think most people would not have or might not have heard of Millsoft before, but would have heard of Salesforce. And Millsoft, we provide a solution that helps different businesses or companies with connectivity challenges. It is a integration and API management platform. So it sounds pretty bombastic with all these different descriptions. And what we actually do is in today's context, we realize that you know many different companies have digital transformation initiatives or projects. And this bottleneck usually lies in spending a lot of time around connecting different data across systems and applications. So what Mulesoft really does is to speed up and accelerate this connectivity. And it helps in turn really drive and speed up your digital transformation projects. Well, thanks for that, Augustine. Definitely sounds like more of a technical kind of product. In this case, could you share with us in terms of the types of companies you try to prospect into or sell into? For example, what are their industry or verticals, as well as the typical sizes of these companies? Got it. We are actually industry agnostic, meaning to say we do have global customers across different verticals. For example, financial services, retail, consumer goods, manufacturing, and so on. The sizes of the companies actually also vary across a wide range. 
Um, so just to give a few examples, it could be high growth startups, uh, commercial or even enterprise level companies. I understand. And because again, this sounds like a technical product, can I assume that you typically speak to or you try to reach out to CTOs, um, IT directors? Are there any type of personas that you also try to speak to? Yes, you're right. We do speak typically with some of the common uh, IT personas that you've mentioned and also at the same time, CIOs, um, enterprise architects and also solution architects. Yeah, and of course, last question is what are the countries you are covering right now? So initially, as you've mentioned, I covered Taiwan and over time, it expanded. So currently, I'm covering the greater China region, which includes Hong Kong, Taiwan, Macau, and occasionally China. Amazing. Now, thanks for that, um, Augustine. Thanks for giving context to our listeners. Now, I wanted to share with everyone that I actually knew Augustine because of Clara. And for those of you who tune into the podcast very early on, you will know that Clara was our first guest on this podcast. And Augustine, I remember back then when I knew Clara, we would often have coffee chats from time to time, right? And one day she mentioned to me that, hey, this guy named Augustine Tia, also from SMU, reached out to her on LinkedIn and wanted to find out more about starting a career in technology sales. And she said she was inviting you for an upcoming coffee chat as well. So all I remember is that from then on, from that one coffee chat that we had, it turned into a lot more coffee chats that would last for hours and we are still good friends to do this. Uh, and we are still good friends to this day. So really happy that I got to know you since then. But I'm curious, Augustine, could you just share with us a little bit the first time you met us, what was your first impression of us? Yes, thanks for reaching out back then and being so willing to kind of meet up and also share a little bit more. And I think to Clara as well. So uh, my first impression back then was that both of you are very spontaneous and, you know, just setting up. I recall the first breakfast and coffee chat the day before. It was just a spontaneous ask and then we went on it the next day. We had very good conversations. I think both of you were very willing and open to share. There was no any form of gatekeeping of information. And that was something that was what I really needed back then as a fresh graduate, someone who didn't have any idea of what technology sales was. So it was very welcoming. And that is something that I also encourage other listeners on this podcast is to really reach out to people. You never know what they might be able to share with you and you never know whether this will eventually blossom into something better. Yeah, and I totally agree with you, right? Because number one, that was the whole reason I started this podcast. I wanted to give people who may be interested in technology sales in this region more exposure, more information on what this role does. And guests like you is what helps keep this podcast going. And also, I really agree on the part where you say reaching out to different people, right? Even when I first started, I was you know, reading different books. I was listening to different podcasts on technology sales. But what really helped me to get even more context on a localized level is actually just speaking to different people who are already selling. Uh, in this region. So I think it's really, really important. But you know, Augustine, I think now is a good time for us to go into the main topic of the day. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, we both started our career in the SDRO. But the main difference is this. My territory when I started was the whole of Southeast Asia. So I could pretty much pick the different countries I wanted to prospect into. And typically, me being Singaporean, I speak English, I speak a little bit of Mandarin at home. 
But the first few countries I would go for would have English as their everyday language. So of course, that includes Singapore, Malaysia, sometimes Indonesia and Thailand, or maybe the Philippines. But I recall the moment you got into Milsoft, uh, you know, we were happy for you, we congratulated you. But when I asked you, Augustine, what territories are you in charge of prospecting into? And you said your first territory was Taiwan. And to be very honest, I was quite worried about you at that moment because I remember asking you things like, how do you get their emails? How do you co-call them in Mandarin? And how do you work with your AEs on these opportunities and many, many more questions? And I know that you spoke a lot more English as compared to Mandarin. So before we dive deeper into some specific questions, tell us a little bit, what was going through your mind when your hiring manager first told you about your territory? Yes, you're right. I spoke more English in everyday lives, but at home, I would usually communicate with my parents in Mandarin. And I think it's not just you. I was also worried about myself when I first figured that I would be covering the greater China region. Um, the, what was going through my head was that I was definitely nervous about my territory because it seemed like a very technical product, as I've mentioned earlier. And I was concerned about the terms I had to learn because of the language. So these are terms that you do not typically use in your everyday conversations. There were definitely a lot of thoughts around not being able to communicate or share accurately with customers or prospects and being embarrassed on calls. So eventually I started to realize that all these fears are things that really play in my head, but people on the other end don't actually remember the conversations as much as you do yourself because they always have other things in their lives that they are busy with. Right, so would you say that a lot of times when, I assume when you first started cold calling, you were probably, or maybe even cold emailing, you probably took a lot of time, you probably started a lot. Uh, are you saying that those first few times when you did call into those people, actually at the end of the day, they don't really mind your stuttering or something like that? It was more of just you being nervous and you being not confident of yourself. Would I be right to assume that? Yes, so initially when we, or when I began, there were quite a bit of, you know, stuttering, quite a bit of uh, prep before I got into a call. I wanted to make sure what I was saying, I would type it down, maybe in Mandarin, and rehearse one or two times before going in to the call. And eventually, you start to get a little bit more comfortable with it. And sometimes it comes to you a bit more naturally afterwards, so you don't need to prepare as, as much. So definitely right at the beginning, there was quite a bit of um, fear and a bit of stuttering. But at the same time, we used one of these tools uh, called Gong, a recording tool. So I would also listen back to some of these conversations I've had and try to work on perhaps something that I'm saying to rephr rephrase it in a better way. So speaking of, you know, starting out, beginning to do some of the prospecting. Maybe walk us through a little bit about how you really started. Were there trainings given to you? You know, what was the whole onboarding process or rather sales enablement process, especially for you? Okay, sure. I think before I share a little bit more, I just want to also mention that if you are an experienced rep listening to this, this is likely not going to be something new or out of the world. So with that, initially our training was about one month, and there was a lot of information 
being shared with us about the product, about the different personas we were going to speak to, about the different angles or ways or things that these personas care about that we can share with them or start the conversation. And also training around how we should write our emails and also practices around calls and so on. After training, I think this is where it starts to get, I guess, tricky, challenging, and also uh, foreign because this is the first time you're starting prospecting. And I don't think a lot of us start out in our first role, co-calling people, especially strangers. I think sometimes in your day-to-day life, co-calling strangers, just for example, to ask for help about maybe something that you're facing problems with, like a product on your phone, is already quite daunting for some people. So initially, how I usually begin is to check in with my account executive. So we are tagged to two account executives in Mulesoft. We will, I will usually align with them on the accounts that we would like to target or that I think we should target. And thereafter, I'll look for leads you know, via the different platforms or tools that we use. This differ from company companies to companies and we use tools such as LinkedIn Sales Navigator to zoom info and also some of these contacts and leads in our own CRM. I would also research perhaps on recent events that may have happened which kind of relates why to why I'm reaching out to certain prospects. From there then I will place prospects on a cadence so it could be a mix of uh, different touch points mainly surrounding um, email and calling so the reason i use less of linkedin emails as compared to others is for is a result of my territory so in taiwan they use less of linkedin so it's not very efficient to be sending email messages if I can't even find their profile on LinkedIn. And if there are any replies or any conversations that I've had with um, Prospect, with any customers, I'll keep track of them and I'll make sure I follow up with sharing of relevant information, whether it is with the prospects or updating my AE about what has happened. So I think these are just the different steps and it summarizes kind of how I would reach out to get information on leads and also to start prospecting. Yeah, but Augustine, it's good that you mentioned that there were some trainings in terms of just telling you about the personas and all, and that is all important, right? But what about training in terms of your specific regions? Like the, the part where you, for example, you talk about how LinkedIn Sales Navigator isn't really used in Taiwan, for example, and you have to go through other channels. Were there people that shared about the information with you, even down to helping you to translate some of the first few words, uh, the technology terms and all that. So what were some of the things that you did or if there were, or were there anyone that helped you to localize some of those information, some of those tools to make sure that you can prospect into the region you were given into? Yes, initially the training itself, because they have to cater with across to reps of different countries and territories, it's difficult to localize it. And you're right, you definitely, if I am prospecting in my 
region or in my territory across Hong Kong, Taiwan, I would have to localize some of this pitch, some of this information, some of this messaging that I have. And how I initially started was to speak with people who have had experience in this role. So the people who have had past experience prospecting into, I guess, Mandarin-speaking market is few and far between. So the few people that I reached out to, one was the previous rep covering the Taiwan region. She left, but I still reached out to her to have a conversation. And also at the same time, reaching out to my manager, who previously was covering the Taiwan market as well, and also speaking with my current uh, AE, who covers the Taiwan uh, market. So a lot of conversations around what works, um, what do people or customers in that market prefer, what were some of the slight nuances. So a lot of this was speaking with them and getting the information and trying to proactively uh, structure my workflow around some of this information. And aside from that, I think outside of, I guess, work hours, I was still listening to podcasts. I listened to this Chinese podcast, actually, and also writing some of these common terms because I was practicing some of these pictures or some of this information in English, I would translate them into a document of the common phrases or the common words that I would typically use and repeat them to myself a couple of times um, on and off. So over time, you it kind, kind of sticks to you because the thing about learning a new language is you need to really practice. You need to find or create opportunities whether it is speaking with yourself, speaking with the people around you, to have some of these opportunities to constantly use this information that you've learned. Uh, for example, even though we use or speak English internally within our company, I would still speak with my AE in Mandarin in our weekly sings, uh, even though sometimes he might be open to speaking English. I would still suggest, you know, let's go with it. In Mandarin, we will have conversations around there and it forces me to be comfortable with that language. Yeah, no, honestly, based on based on what you said, I have to say I, I respect that. I mean, the fact that you said you had to translate sentences by sentences, word by word, phrases, practicing, even down to listening to podcasts. I mean, I can definitely understand what you mean by learning a new language is not easy because um, I've been learning, as you know, I've been learning Pasa Indonesia a basic language and it's true you really have to practice it because the way the grammar is the vocabulary you got to practice it and to make sure that you can say it fluently so that it's not jagged it's not one word by one word so i definitely respect the fact that you are doing all those things to improve yourself but you know tell me some of the lessons that you learned about taiwan or about all the unfamiliar territories like you say it still includes hong kong sometimes taiwan now those are actually still unfamiliar territories to most, let's say, Singaporeans. What were some of the key lessons you learned along the way? Sure, thanks, Asher. I think similarly to you, you've, you've had some challenges around, I guess, initially learning Bahasa. And now we, you are definitely a little bit more fluent. And similarly, I faced those challenges as well. 
Fortunately, I would say the Taiwan market, the people are a lot more forgiving and they also do use phrases of English. So it's not purely 100% Mandarin as well. And aside from that, in Hong Kong, I do not speak Cantonese. Most of them are more comfortable with speaking Cantonese. However, the business language in Hong Kong is English and that was something that I was able to still do to speak with prospect in English. And with regards to what lessons I've learned in some of this unfamiliar territory, I would like to highlight, I guess, three. Um, hopefully, it resonates with the people listening and yourself as well. So the first one would be being resourceful. I think it means finding and doing whatever it takes to get the job done, right? You could be getting creative, um, weird, you know, doing things differently, of course, ethically. And it is, as I've highlighted previously, you know, having a document of these common Chinese terms that I've had, I've had and also practicing them week in, week out, listening to different podcasts in Mandarin, watching vi- different YouTube videos in Mandarin, trying to read a little bit about some of this um, different information online about the territory itself. So I would read Taiwan news, I would read Hong Kong news specific to the territory and also at the same time reaching out to other reps that I think would cover the similar region or will face challenges in similar regions. That's the good thing about being under the Salesforce umbrella of companies. You have other reps in other companies that are also covering similar regions so you can reach out to them so that i would say is one aspect of being resourceful the second lesson i have is around being proactive i think that is about taking the initiative to reach out to others similarly as i've mentioned i reached out to the previous reps covering taiwan having a conversation with them to understand what works and what doesn't and what i can implement immediately and also speaking with other successful reps across the different regions, um, even though they may be covering different territories, I would try to connect the dots and figure out what might be applicable to mine. Or if I think it's not applicable to, applicable to mine, I would test it first to figure out it is for sure not working in my territory before moving on to trying other stuff. The last lesson I would kind of also bring through is persistence. I think a lot of times we are faced with objections or even our own hesitations, not asking or going further or not pushing a little bit harder. This is something that I would encourage myself as well in the past to be pushing a little bit harder past some of these objections and eventually making the ask. I think if you don't make the ask, or state the ask whether is it to a customer, whether is it internally, the answer will always be no. And thanks for that, Augustine. I really appreciate the fact that you you stated very clearly in terms of some of the key lessons you learned. But I think the third one that you mentioned, persistent, is interesting. Because as you know, you need a lot more persistence because there will likely be more resistance for you in terms of the customers in your or prospects in your territory. They probably have not heard much about, let's say, Millsoft before as compared to Australia, Singapore, Malaysia, and all that. 
Now, for there are definitely some SDRs who are listening in to this podcast, and some of them may actually have those unfamiliar territory or territories that may not be as favorable to them as compared to other reps. Um, because one thing I recall is that you mentioned your quota. Even though you were in a more unfamiliar territory, there isn't much marketing there, the awareness of Millsoft isn't big there. Your quota was actually the same as the other ADRs that were covering other territories. Most of them are better territories. And we both knew that back then, okay, it wasn't really realistic. How could they give you the same quota as compared to others? Uh, different countries have different maturity and exposure to your company. So how do you deal with that? Yes, I think different countries have different maturities and its own set of challenges. So I think it's also important to understand the context uh, before deciding uh, whether what I'm sharing will be helpful. So the countries I was supporting in the greater China region may not be as mature in comparison, for example, to areas like the Australia and New Zealand side, the ANC side. However, there were also rep reps before me who have had success. So that actually gave me confidence that, okay, this is something achievable. I also learned to speak with them to understand, you know, what was working back then, if anything has changed over the years, because they have been there before me, but they have been there for perhaps one to two years and things might have changed across this period of time. There could be new regulations. Uh, launched by the government. It could be new uh, initiatives by different bodies. So I, I learned to speak with them and to understand how it has changed, what were some tips that they had. At the same time, I think building relationships specifically with your AEs are very important. So I think that really was something that I was trying to do. And this really takes time. You need to get to know them on a more personal level and this doesn't happen overnight perhaps it could be small conversations small talk across different weekly conversations trying to understand things from their perspectives what matters to them in qualification of an opportunity what are some information they would like to know what are some practices they would like to have before going on a call with you and lastly, I would like to cover that I was also trying to be a bit more persistent with some of these markets to diligently follow up with the right people, but at the same time to be very polite about following up at the right time. So sometimes different prospects or different partners that we work with would tell us, get back to me or reach out to me, perhaps in this number of weeks later, this number of months later. And I would keep a note and follow up in a very polite manner and keep consistently following up if they don't reply, but yet still sounding professional at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned something about how you also need to build some relationship internally with your AEs. Because, you know, when people ask me about, you know, what's what is tough about being the SDR, I, I always say, you know, the prospecting, it's trial and error, right? You can try to see what works. You can ask different people. But internally, you know, having that good relationship with your AE is something tough as well because on one hand, the AE wants to make sure to only talk to potential prospects who really, really wants to buy. But on another hand, 
and SDR wants to push as many conversations as possible. They want the AE to talk to as many customers as possible. So maybe just give us a little bit of a spill in terms of what you did. You know, I mean, you mentioned about having coffee, having a chat, but what about the expectations part? How do you tell them in a nice way that, hey, I know some of these prospects, they are not that ready to buy, but I need you to speak to them, present to them, at least nurture them, give them a bit of education of our, of our product. How do you manage the expectation portions with your AE? How was the conversations like? I would typically share with my AE transparently. So sometimes I think it might not have hit some of these qualifiers or criteria required from them or their expectations. But if I think it is a good prospect that we should be speaking with, for example, someone that is like a CIO, an IT director, I would let them know, okay, maybe there's some there's not something there at this moment that is very concrete. However, I think you can reach out to them and build this relationship so that they can remember you in the long term. So I try to get them to think uh, long term. This is an important person because right now that person could be perhaps an IT director. In the future, this person could be a CIO at another company. And this is where I try to share with them the potential future value of this particular prospect. Aside from that, it could also be a big company or a target account that they really want to go after. So even if that may not be something that they want at this moment, but it is something that's, that matters to them because it is something that they want to get into. And it's also thinking from their perspective, right? Sometimes your account executives want to speak with their managers and they need to also explain or justify why they take on certain opportunities and if it is in a more important account it makes it easier for them to explain similarly to how we explain to our managers so this is these are a few ways that i think could be helpful thinking from your AE's perspective yeah and that's definitely true right so i think the lesson here is really it's not just about external selling, trying to sell or get conversations from a prospect, but it's also about internal selling, you know, getting people to support your idea, support um, the fact that you want them to do something for you. You got to influence them as well. And Augustine, you know, coming to near the, the end of this portion, this topic, I think one of the good things that happened to you in Millsoft is that you got promoted um, multiple times. In fact, right now, you know, you are in a kind of like a senior SDR position. Um, which I know you call ADR or account development executives in Millsoft. With that comes more money, bigger territory or better territory. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about number one, how was that whole feeling about moving up in terms of your career path? So that's the first question. And secondly, I recall you telling me about this thing of staying the course, that you had this idea of staying the course. Sometimes you said that there were some months you didn't really hit your quota and all, but you stayed the course. And that contributed to you, you know, moving up your in your career. So share with me a little bit about number one again, feeling of getting promoted, and secondly, this whole idea of staying the course. Yes, uh, Asher, thanks for asking this as well. I think, of course, it sounds like with a promotion, it came more money. However, the territory, I would like to disclaim that it's still the same, and sometimes along the line along the progression territories do change or it becomes cut 
into a smaller piece due to movements across your account executives or even having new peers joining your team. And over time, I think what helped with my progression was really having that honest conversation. I would like to share that I've had very good managers. I've had two different managers across uh, my time since I joined MuleSoft and they have been very instrumental to my growth. It's about having this conversation with them upfront and transparently about how I can progress and what I need to do or what I need to kind of demonstrate to be able to move to that next level. And they were able to provide feedback. And from my point of view, was to really focus on the feedback and try to work on it over time and let it play out. And yes, I recall sharing with you something about staying in the course early on. And even sometimes now, I find myself having that imposter syndrome and also constantly questioning if sales is the right path for me. So I think on this note, I really want to share this graph that was shared with me uh, through a friend of mine when I mentioned to them how I felt initially. So I can't physically show you the graph, but I would try to share or describe verbally. So it is a graph with like a V-shaped graph where the x-axis is like time and your y-axis is your state of mind. So in a V-shape, there are two peaks, right? So one in the initial phase where when you just join a company, you've completed your training and everyone around you are very encouraging. You're excited to start. People paint a very good picture about what is going to happen or the potential growth you can have in your role. So as time goes on, you start to meet challenges around uncertainty, working with different stakeholders and realizing there are so much more technical knowledge that you need to know about your product. So all of this kind of wears down the initial confidence that you have, the initial um, positivity that you have. So it goes down like in a V uh, shape down to the bottom of it. And this may be where some, sometimes some people decide it is time to call it quits or, you know, like I've shared before, the other option would be to stay the course and be determined to try not, kind of figure this out. So as I persevered, I think I accepted the situation that I was in. It's difficult, it's challenging. I had to adapt, I had to struggle. And you will slowly begin to build better relationships. Of course, this is due to time and also different interactions you've had with them across the board. So whether it is with your manager, your team, your AEs, other cross-functional teams, you also become more organized and more efficient at what you are doing. And things will start to gradually uh, work out. So these are lessons that I've learned you know, throughout this um, whole process uh, and also sharing with you how to stay the course. It's to be patient and accept that it takes time. But at the same time, you must be able to voice out the challenges that you're facing to your managers and also be willing to take the feedback and make small tweaks and changes to improve. So if, if you're asking for feedback or you're voicing out your challenges but are willing to take some of this feedback and act on it, then it is really just renting. So these are just some of the lessons that I've learned and I hope this V-shaped graph that I've mentioned makes sense to you and the listeners.
Now that definitely makes a lot of sense, Augustine, and I appreciate you for sharing that. I think there's really two things you mentioned, right? Number one, being very willing to talk to your managers, uh, being very open about your challenges. And of course, you know, hoping as long as the manager is good, I'm sure they will be willing to give you some help, try to see what they can do on an organizational level or even on in their own capacity. And I think that's really important, right? To have managers that help you to vouch for you. But I think what's interesting is so you talk about having this V and many times when I talk to people who have been in sales for a long time, they say it's not just one V, right? It's multiple Vs because it's always a roller coaster, right? It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. I don't think anyone is really up all the time. There's always down moments and up moments and it's about just going through those low moments and you know that once you can get through that, you will have your high moments. But with that being said, you know, Augustine, we have actually come to the near the end of our podcast. Our time is almost up. But I just have a couple of questions for you. And of course, try your best to kind of answer them within one sentence. Now, firstly, what do you love about your job at the moment? I love that it challenges me to be proactive and continuously try to improve myself every day. All right. Secondly, what gets you out of bed every single day? Knowing that every day is a brand new day and whatever actions I take today will lead to higher probabilities of certain outcomes sometime down the road. All right, and last question. Now, actually, I have the question, which is what would you say to people who, who may not have the best territory given to them in their SDR role? The, the, I wanted to ask that question, but I feel like you've pretty much answered it throughout all your different questions. But I don't really want to put you on the spot here, but... Could you maybe just give us a little bit of a spill, a little bit of just some of the phrases you use when you're calling into you know, Mandarin-speaking countries? You know, just give us a little bit, what is your opener, things like that. We're just really curious on, on how that would sound. Yeah, sure. So you sh- typically, I will start, I will just do a quick, let's say I'm calling someone who has perhaps taken a look at some of our resources. I will just be, hello, ni hao, washi Augustine, Oh yeah, thanks so much for that, Augustine. You know, um, I think the fact that you can say that so smoothly is really a testament that you have been practicing this a lot. You have really been trying your best to ensure that you can say in one phrase or in one sentence because I never prepared you for this, but yet I can actually see you just saying that very smoothly here. Now, we want to move on to our last section, which is the rapid fire questions. Now, for these questions, there'll be uh, a couple of simple questions and the goal is really to answer them in one word or as quickly as possible. So Augustine, don't worry, it's going to be easy. Okay, Augustine, so the first question of our rapid-fire questions, what is your favorite thing to do on the weekend? The favorite things that I enjoy doing on my weekends are going out with my partner, catching up with my friends, and sometimes even just sleeping in. All right, second question, what is your favorite country to travel to? I would say Europe, and specifically, I would like to go back to Sweden. Sweden, you were there for exchange? Yes, it was the country that I went to for exchange and it holds a lot of fond memories for me. Nice. All right, third question. When are you the most productive? I'm most productive in the morning and also towards the late evening. Fourth question. What ever fails to make you laugh? 
Wait, wait, I need to think about this for a bit. Or rather, the question is, what, what makes you laugh often? Well, I like watching or reading memes about sales online. Yeah, that's something I like to do as well. And of course, the next question is, what trait most defines who you are? I would say a trait that I hold closely to my heart would be the trait of tenacity. That's something that I think describes me well. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that based on what you have shared today. Of course, last two questions we have is, number one, what makes you sad or disappointed? I think what makes me disappointed sometimes is when you put in a lot of effort and it doesn't, things doesn't work out the way you do, but yet it is something that you have to accept. So it's, it's challenging and it's something that you have to continuously remind yourself that this might come again at another point in time or this is not the end of the world. Move on. So of course, with that being said, we have the last question. So inversely, what makes you happy then? Spending time with my loved ones, you know, just having rest and also exercising a lot makes me really happy. All right. And we have come to the end of our rapid fire questions. It's not too bad, right, Augustine? Yes, it's great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And Augustine, for our listeners who are tuning in, could you let us know what is the best way to reach you if there are some questions or if they want to reach out to you? The best way to reach me would be through LinkedIn. I believe Asher would share the link and also some of the information in the description. Yes, that's right. So as always, I will put my guest LinkedIn profile on the podcast description. But thank you so much, Augustine, for being the guest on the Revenue Journey podcast. And again, I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in as well. Now, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please remember to hit the subscribe button. Once again, my name is Asher. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn as well by typing in Asher Tua. That's A-S-H-E-R space C-H-U-A. Or click on my profile link in the episode's description. Now, as you all know, again, I have to say this every time I'm new to hosting my podcast, I will appreciate any feedback you may have. If you have any suggestions or any particular topic or you have any suggestions on who I should bring on next, let me know via LinkedIn as well. I'm always excited for the next one. Looking forward to it. But for now, stay safe, take care and have a great revenue journey. All right, Augustine, say bye to our audience. Thanks everyone. Goodbye.